made the commitment to move to foreign places and they're willing to invest their life in trying to save souls. Now, hopefully you're trying to reach out to those that are your neighbors, co-workers, family members, etc. But we especially in this act want to encourage those who are away from their homes and away from, from uh, where they have, have lived and maybe even have grown up. And so let's use this as a wonderful time. Also, we want to rejoice, give God the glory, number one, but be so thankful for the fact that we were able, uh, through God's generosity to us, we were able to give $122,000 to the work at Ukraine last Sunday. That is the second largest single day offering in the life of this congregation. And to think that that second largest was given to a foreign work and hopefully that we will be able to sow seeds there that will be a blessing for them until Jesus comes again. And we're so thankful for that and look forward uh, to being able to see how that unfolds. But we all need to be mindful in prayer uh, for the opportunities that God could place before us, that our eyes will be open and those will be wise that are seeking to find a place that would be the best and suitable place for the church there uh, to have a permanent place to worship. Also, we're mindful that this coming Saturday we'll have... Uh, about 40 to 45 from this congregation that will go on a mission trip to El Salvador. A church will be planted there in the community in which we're going. And we want to be prayerful about that. I hope that you'll be praying that souls, uh, their hearts would be tender, that they would be open and recipients of the great news of Jesus Christ. When we think about why do we take the message of Jesus Christ If it were not for grace, there would be no reason at all to go. Because none of us could obtain salvation if we had to earn it. This morning, I want to ask you, do you see your salvation as a wage or do you see it as a gift? Have you done something to deserve it so God just has to give it to you? I know that so oftentimes the little jokes have nothing to do with the way it's really going to be. And there's a lot about this that it's not the way it's going to be. But if it makes us think a little bit about grace, we'll give it a shot this morning. As the story seemed to go, the Bible doesn't say Peter's going to be standing at the pearly gates. But that's the way the jokes oftentimes go. So Peter's standing there at the pearly gates and he's got his little clipboard there. And a fellow walks up kind of confidently. And uh, Peter says, well, let me tell you how this works. I'll ask you a few questions. If you can come up with 100 points you can enter into the gates. And so the first question he asks, he says, were you a married man? He says, yes. He says, were you faithful to your wife? He says, yes, sir. I was married for over 50 years, 55 years to be exact. He said, I was faithful to her. Peter looks says, really? He says, all the time I was faithful to her. He says, I tell you what, that's worth three points. God says, three points. Okay. And he says, uh, did you ever go to church? He said, go to church. I was there every time the doors was open. I even went to the extra events, you know, seminars, gospel meetings, workshops. He said, listen, I loved gathering with the church family. I wouldn't dream of missing. He said, that's impressive. That's impressive. Two points. He says, two points. He says, yes. Did you ever help with benevolence? Yes. Yes. Our, we had a soup kitchen in, in our congregation and I helped with that soup kitchen on a weekly basis. And all the other opportunities that came up, I tried to give generously my time and money. Peter says, no, I like that. That's, that's really good that you were benevolent. He said, I'm going to give you two points for that one too. He says, two points. Do you realize you've covered most of my life and we're only up to seven points? Why? I mean, nobody can, the only way they can make it in here would be by the grace of God. Peter says, 100 points. There you go. Enter in. Now, when, when you think about how are you going to get there? Do you really think you're going to earn your way into heaven? 
Do you really think that some way you're going to reach some kind of accomplishment? I was just that good of a Christian. I was such a great spouse. Oh, the parent I was. God had to let me in. Really? Listen, it's not only dangerous because number one, that's not at all what God teaches. But number two, it causes us to view God in a wrong manner. And it also, number three, causes us to view others in a way that just is not healthy spiritually. So this morning, I want us to grasp at a topic that's almost beyond our grasp. There's nothing so beautiful as the topic of grace. What is it that we could learn from a parable that Jesus taught? What I'd like to do for just a moment is I'd like to share with you, and if you have your Bibles open to Matthew, the 20th chapter, I know the text that was just read was the 19th chapter, but I would like to quickly tell you the first part of a parable in Matthew, the 20th chapter, and then we'll back up from there. When we go into Matthew, the 20th chapter, we have the parable of the vineyard and the laborers that worked in the vineyard. And it is a story that seems to go beyond our human reasoning and logic. In other words, if I could say it this plainly, it just doesn't seem to make sense from a human standpoint. The vineyard owner went out early in the morning and their days began at 6 a.m. And and he went to the marketplace and he found some individuals that were willing to go out and work in the vineyard all day. And they agreed that one denarius would be a fair wage. And so they went into the vineyard to work. He went back out at 9 o'clock and at 12 o'clock and at 3 o'clock and hired others. But they did not agree upon a wage. They simply said, beginning in verse 4, for those that at 9 o'clock, he said that he would give them what was right. Those individuals trusted the vineyard owner. They knew that he would treat them fairly. And so at the near the end of the day, At five o'clock, he goes out to the marketplace again and he finds others that would work for only one hour. It doesn't even sound really logical, but he hired them for one hour also. And then when it came the end of the day in verse eight, he lined them up and he began at the last and he worked his way to the first. And I assure you that there were two moments of shock and surprise at that time. Because what he did, he began at those that had only been there for one hour, and he gave them one denarius, which was a full day's wage. Now, I'm sure they were shocked. I'm sure they were surprised. I have just made 12 times the hourly rate. This is unbelievable. I'm sure that the ones that had worked 12 hours were shocked and surprised that they had just made that much money. And you can imagine how they're calculating in their mind. Wow, if he is paying that much per hour, look what we're going to make today. But as he worked up the line, he gave, emphasis on gave, he gave each one a denarius. And when he came to the end, he paid those that had worked 12 hours what they had agreed upon. Now this story, the way it is laid out in the scriptures, and I hope you have your Bibles open, I want you to see that there's very much an intentional bookend to this parable. You see, when you look back up into the 19th chapter in verse 30, notice what is said there. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
Now skip down through the parable to the 20th chapter in verse 16 and notice how Jesus closes this teaching. So the last shall be first and the first last for many be called, but few chosen. Now wait a minute. Why did Jesus tell this parable? We've already talked about the fact that the parable just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us. Jesus, what are you trying to say when those that come in at 5 o'clock and work an hour are paid the same as those that, that work 12 hours? What are you trying to say, Jesus? And before he even tells the parable, he says this out loud. Many, many that are first are going to be last. And those last first. Let me tell you this parable. And even in the parable, in verse 8, in the middle of the teaching, he goes over it again, the last first. And then you get to the end of the parable and he says, it's like I've been saying this whole time. Many that are going to be first are going to be last and the last to be first. He's trying to give us an understanding of grace and our human nature battles that. Our human nature says, we want what is fair. We want to earn it. Our human nature says we want to wage. We want to compare against each other. And Jesus keeps saying, no, you're getting it all wrong. I want to teach you something spiritual. And you're trying to take it and make understanding of it fleshly. And as long as you keep the emphasis on the fleshly, not only are you going to misunderstand the spiritual teaching, but you're going to live a fleshly life and miss the gift, the grace that comes from the spiritual. Sometimes wonder if Jesus didn't feel frustrated and even today patiently frustrated dealing with us trying to get us to stop thinking so much of an earthly nature and to think more spiritual. Maybe it's like this. How many of you have ever painted with a roller? Show of hands. You ever painted with a roller? Okay, that's most, so we can understand that part of this illustration. Now, some of us are a little more frugal than others. How many of you have ever cleaned up a roller when you were finished instead of throwing it away? If you've ever cleaned a roller. Okay, I don't have to give this illustration to you. You know this illustration well, but for others' sake, there's something interesting about cleaning up a roller. If you've never cleaned up a roller, you probably think that most paint that paint companies make goes on surfaces of walls. It doesn't. Most of it goes down the drain after you clean out a roller. There's something about a roller that just seems to never empty itself of the paint. I mean, you go to clean out a roller and you squeeze real hard that first time. And of course, if you've never done it before, the first thing you think of, that was all my paint. How was that much paint in one roller? And then you squeeze the second time until you're surprised there's that much that comes out again. And you squeeze the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time. And for long, you're looking for, for some kind of tube that must be connected to your roller because there's no way that roller was holding that much paint. And then after the ninth or tenth time, it starts to thin out a little bit. And after about the fifteenth time, you're probably thinking, maybe it wasn't such a bad deal to pay two bucks for another roller. Now, what's the point? The point is this. What if, what if the humanity in us What if the fleshly nature in us is what Jesus was continually teaching? Remember, he walked with his apostles for almost three years. And what was he doing? Teaching after teaching, he was giving them instruction to lift their eyes to the eternal and stop trying to base their faith on the physical. 
And you can just imagine him thinking, I'm squeezing a little bit more of this fleshliness out of them. I'm squeezing just a little bit more of this temporal thinking, a little bit more of these earthly ways. He's trying to get us to be spiritual, to be eternal, to be faithful to him. And you can imagine how he's just working with him, especially on this day. And he's just thinking, maybe I can squeeze just a little bit of this out of them. And it had to be a challenge because... Maybe even at this point, you're thinking, oh, it's not a big deal to understand what he just said. Really? I guarantee you it's a big deal what he said. This morning, if, if we said everybody's going to exit out of the middle doors of the rear of this auditorium, and this side over here is going to go first when the amen is said, and this side is going to go last. And then the amen was said, and this side got up and went first. This side would immediately say, well, they... They didn't do what you said. And what if I said, oh, sure. The first goes last and the last goes first. And you say, that makes no sense. Jesus says, sure, it makes sense. You may not know if, if the last went first, they would just be last. The last would go last. Jesus says, no, the first will go last. The first is last. Well, where's the last? The last to be first. It's kind of like Alvin Costello. Who's on first? Before long, you're like, this isn't making any sense. And that's what I need to accept this morning. If my idea of grace is that it has to make some kind of sense from an earthly, fleshly measure, it won't ever make sense. Now on this next slide, I want to show you this because this is important because we're not going to be able to spend as much time because there is really a lot to this text. But on this next slide, we see that the parable of the vineyard workers was told because of a question that Peter asked. But Peter asked this question, now keep in mind, we're going back in the scriptures here. That's the 20th chapter, going back to the end of the 19th chapter. But Peter asked this question because of a teaching that Jesus gave. That was the text that was read just a few moments ago. But Jesus made that explanation of the teaching because of his dealing with the rich young ruler. In other words, I believe that if we can tie all of this text together, we can have a much greater understanding of at least some of the things that Jesus wanted us to understand about grace. So let's dive in. Let's go back and see just a little bit about the rich young ruler. If you will, look with me to Matthew, the 19th chapter. You see on this next slide, a modern day uh, artistic rendering of the rich young ruler. Uh, We don't really know much about this rich young ruler. We don't know what kind of car he drove. We don't know what kind of big house that he lived in. But we know this. The Bible tells us clearly he had great number of possessions. So he would have definitely fit into the American culture as we think of it. This was a man that liked his possessions. And Jesus approaches him. Now keep in mind, this is a man that lived a very religious life. And in many ways, it appeared that he was very much committed to God. But yet Jesus challenges this. And so let's begin reading this. We're in Matthew, the 19th chapter, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, if you wanted to bookend this segment... And this, this is beautiful, the way the Holy Spirit laid out the scriptures. You see, the topic is, how are you going to have eternal life? Now, we don't have a slide on this, but if you drop down in your Bible and you see 29, the very end of 29 is the answer to eternal life. 
And see, the very next verse is the bookend to the next chapter. So you see, if you're putting this in order, it's eternal life, teachings, eternal life. Then it's the first shall be last, the teaching, the first shall be last. And so if we can understand everything that we're, we're learning this morning around those two sets of bookends, we're going to learn it in the context that, that God wanted us, uh, that God placed it. And so he wanted to know how, what he needed to do to have eternal life and what good things shall he do. In 17, so he said to him, this Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And so he said to Jesus, which ones? And Jesus answered, you shall not commit, uh, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have done and I've kept them from my youth. What do I still like, lack? Now, uh, pause here for just a moment. You notice that what he did, when you think about the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with man's relationship with God. The last six of the Ten Commandments deal with man's relationship with mankind or things about the earth. Now, isn't it interesting that he stated almost every one of the last six of the Ten Commandments, but he did, Jesus did leave one out. When he said, hey, these are the commandments you need to keep, the one he left out was, do not covet There might have been a reason why he left that out when talking with this wealthy man. Because up to this point, when he lays out those others, this young man's able to say, I've done those. I've done those from from my youth up. But you see, he still hasn't addressed where have you placed God in your life. And so with this next statement, even though he's not going to use any of those first four commandments in in a quotation type way, He is, in a sense, referring to idols and and what have you placed in your life above God. And so Jesus says to him in 21, when he just asked in 20, what do I still lack? And he said to him in 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Think how many times Jesus has said that to individuals. Follow me. Well, what did he say that prefaced that? Well, it's going to be an order of priority here. Jesus not only heard the words of this man, but Jesus could know the heart of this man. Jesus knew that this man had his possessions in a higher place than God himself. He'd made these possessions his idol. And so he's saying, all right, what we've got to do is reorder your life. Go and sell all that you have and follow me. Now notice how this man responded in 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, I think it's important enough to bring this out, even though we don't have time to dwell on it. But if you want to hold your finger here and go over to Mark, the 10th chapter, I'd like to show you something about the tone that Jesus would have had at this time. This is where this same account is recorded in Mark Mark the 10th chapter in just a moment. We'll pick up in 20 and 21. It's easy for us to picture Jesus here kind of with, with a pointed finger and, and maybe a real sharp tone, almost as if to say, you will put God first or get out of here. Notice what Mark revealed to us that's real important. In 20 is where he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth up. Now notice what he says in 21. Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, 
One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come. Take up the cross and follow me. What did he do there? Before he spoke, he looked at him. And he loved him. How do you look at someone when you love them? And how do you speak when you're looking at someone you love when you're trying to tell them something that will save their soul? Friends, he's not out to say, how can I make your life miserable? How can I attack you at this point? Jesus is out to save this man's soul. What is it that I can do? I love you. What is it that I need to say to you? Jesus knows that what is separating this man is he's placing his possessions too high. And listen, this is said with love. This isn't said with with a fist pump when the young man walks away sorrowful. Jesus is like, yeah. I assure you that as that young man walked away sorrowful, Jesus was sorrowful that he would walk away. But it also led to an important teaching that everyone needs to understand. And I I hope you get this. Jesus wasn't trying to pile on to this young man. He's showing a weakness that all of us have. And it's putting things, possessions in front of God. Look, there are people that they accumulate a certain amount of wealth and they feel secure. And if or if not, their relationship is right with God in their mind's eye, they don't care. They're not worried about security there because I got security on earth. Look how much I own. Look how much I have saved up. Why, nothing could happen to me that would hurt me. I'm all right. Do you realize how easy it is for us to turn our possessions into God? Spelt with a little G? And here, Jesus is making the plea to realize the only thing secure is that you have eternal life. Do you want that? Where are you willing to place God? And so we have this teaching here in 23. And this is back to Matthew, the 19th chapter in 23. Jesus says to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what we read just a moment ago. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it could be translated there where it says hard. It could be translated hardly possible. In other words, Jesus was saying, It's pretty much impossible. It's impossible for a rich man to go to hell. How impossible is it? You ever threaded a needle? You know, when I was a little boy, my grandmother Armstrong, my granny Shannon, many times I've been at their house and they say, David, your eyes are better than mine. Will you come thread this needle? I learned how to lick that thread, put it through the eye. How many times do you have to lick a camel to get it to go through an eye of a needle? You look at that real quickly and you say, that camel is not going through it. Jesus, that's right. Hardly possible. It's not going through. Well, their reaction is probably, if any of us stopped and thought about it, would be the same thing. It's like, oh, so you mean there's some class of people that just can't make it to heaven? What other classes of people just can't make it to heaven? Or better yet, what classes of people can make it to heaven? And so notice in 25, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished and they said, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I want you to notice Three key words that's used here. Well, really, one word is two words. Possible, impossible. 
God, men, with and with, with men, impossible, with God, possible. And what's this the answer to? This is the answer to who can be saved. Listen, he's not just answering this. Notice the question was not which rich people can be saved. This question is in general. Jesus is answering this in general. Okay, you want to know who can be saved. Let me tell you, everybody that wants to do it with a earthly, fleshly nature and understanding with men, it's impossible. If you want to do this with God, it's possible. Now note this. I think sometime in our understanding, we read this verse and we think of of the word to, T-O, instead of with. In other words, we say, well, to, to men, we would just say it's impossible for us to be saved. But to God, God would just say, oh, it's very possible to be saved. That's not what he's saying. That may be true, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying with, and the, 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 the word with has to do with draw near to be among. Are you with someone? Are you with men? Are you with God? You see how we're getting to that last set of bookends? You want to try to understand grace, what it means for the first to be last and the last first? If you're going to live your life with men, you're not going to understand that one. You're going to want everything to be wages. If you're going to live your life with God, it's possible. There's so many things that may seem unbelievable that are possible. Fleshly living produces a fleshly harvest on the level of man. Now, for time's sake, I'm just going to tell you about the next few verses because we've got to start wrapping this up, but I want you to read the last part of this parable. Peter does what Peter seems great at doing. Peter immediately, now he's still going back in his mind to that conversation with with the, the rich young ruler. And so it's kind of like ding, 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 ding. And he says, wait a minute. So you say, leave all and follow me and you can have great reward. Jesus, we've done that. You know, in his mind, he's saying, I remember leaving boats behind. I left fishing nets behind. I, I left family behind. Okay. And so his His statement is, we've done that. And then his question is, so what's in it for us? Could be a dangerous question. Could be a wise question. What's the motive? And so Jesus answers it as if it's a good question. And he talks about where Peter and others like him will set on the day of judgment. And then he talks about the reward that they are going to have because they have left lands and people and possessions But then, and that's where we noted a while ago at the end of 29, where he says you're going to receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So you see, what he does is he says to Peter, yeah, you want to talk about your reward? You're going to get a great reward. But he follows up that with the very next words to say, but let me give you a warning. And that warning is, but many who are first will be last and those who are last first. And what he is getting at is he's warning Peter, do not become arrogant about this. So you are one of the first ones that's going to be in the kingdom of heaven. 
You're not superior. You are not some high-ranking official that deserves special attention. You're going to have to understand, there's not seniority in the kingdom. There's not wages earned in the kingdom. There's not tenure in the kingdom. There's not big people in the kingdom and little people in the kingdom. And so even though he can answer Peter to say, yes, there are great rewards, you have to be careful and recognize we're not going to allow this to turn in to some kind of arrogance. And that's where we have to rely upon grace. So as we close this, I hope you have your Bibles open. Look at the 20th chapter. And I'd like for us to pick up at verse 10. And notice... We talked about the parable up to this point. We're just going to read this and make some comments and we close. Look at verse 10. Remember, he's lined them up and he's paid them. In verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, notice what they did. They complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them Notice this word. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Pause there for a moment. Now, imagine a wagon loaded up with all kinds of bushels of grapes. And imagine they've just been paid. And any of you that have worked outside and, and, and you've worked with your hands, and notice he said, in the heat of the day, and we've borne the burden. They would have had ringlets of dirt around their neck. Their clothes would have been stained from the sweat during the middle of the day. Their hands would have been just nasty as nasty could be. They would have stunk. They would have been so tired. Twelve hours of work out in the vineyard. What do you want to do? I want to go home, clean up. I want to eat supper and I want to go to bed. But yet, I look down this line and I see these, their hands are hardly even dirty. They don't have any, any dirt rings around their neck. They, they don't have stained clothes. Why? They've only worked here an hour. Look at that wagon load. We're the ones that bore this burden. Look at us out in the middle of the day. We were the ones that were out here. Landowner, it's not an equal situation. And you paid us equally. And I'm greatly offended. Bring just a little more paint out of that roller. There's not anybody here that's saved on wages and you deserve it more than anybody else that is saved. Not anybody. There's no seniority. There's no reward because you deserved it. And so notice Jesus' wisdom in 13. He answered one of them and he said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. That's justice. The Lord did exactly what he agreed to do. Now let's read the next part of 14 and 15. I wish to give, say that's grace. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? You see that? He says, listen, I could pay all of you fairly, but at the end of the day, I still have some money. And if I have paid you fairly what we agreed upon, and I want to give everybody else here an extra gift, is it against the law for me to do with my money what I want to do if it's giving someone extra? Now, you would think someone would say, no, no. It's yours. You do what you want. And Jesus says, either I have the right to do and to give, 
and you ought to be happy with this, or notice that last line there. This is huge. Or is your eye evil because I'm good? In the Greek, the word I there is literally the word for I, but it is also figuratively, if in fact it's used in a context, be figuratively, it then becomes jealous or envious. So literally what he's saying here is I've been generous and I've given and that ought to be fine with you unless you're envious and jealous. And then it's not going to be fine with you because you think everything is about what someone earns. And so we read here in 16. So the last will be first and the first shall be last. In Romans the sixth chapter in verse 23 I want you to notice the word wage and gift. There is a wage all of us deserve. Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You don't ever want to make salvation about wages. Because if in fact we demand our wage, what we're going to get is eternal death. But there's also a horrible spraying, if you will, of events. There's a reaping that comes out of individuals that try to make it about wages. Number one, they'll complain about others. Number two, they'll accuse God. And number three, they'll really believe that they are superior. Look how many times the Pharisees and the scribes, look how many times, you just go over three more chapters in your Bible, Matthew the 23rd chapter, and you see the first eight or nine or 10 verses, they had become so arrogant and they looked down so much at other people. And finally, Jesus says, we're all brethren. There's not a superiority here. We are all brethren. This morning, what is it that we need to wring out of our life? What is it that we need to wring out of our understanding of faith that we can truly say, I love the grace of God. This morning, we're not asking you to respond to something that you can earn. This morning, it's the Lord's invitation. And you're responding to something we all desperately need. And no one can say they deserve it. If you're ready to accept that gift of grace as a believer of Jesus Christ and to be willing to repent and turn from the world and to the giver of that gift and to not be ashamed of Him but stand with Him and to be baptized into Him for the remission of those sins, that's where the grace of God touches us to remove the guilt of our sin. We would love to help you with that and walk with you through that this morning. If you're ready to come back, our gracious God... He rejoices more over the one that has returned than the 99 that has stayed. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.